former Liverpool manager's part nine, the great orator, Bill Shankly, 1st of December 1959 till 12th of July 1974. William Shankly was born in a tiny mining village of Glenbach in Ayrshire in 1913. His maternal uncles, Robert and William Blythe, were both professional footballers and it clearly ran in the family as all five boys born to his parents, John and Barbara, went on to be pros too. In fact, Shanks was often heard to boast that at their peak he and his four brothers could have beaten any five brothers in the world. Wally, as he was known to the family, was the youngest boy and the ninth youngest of ten children, which left the family with little money. Shankly remembered always being hungry as a child and admitted he would steal from nearby farms, suppliers and the pits with friends due to their desperation. Leaving school in 1928, he went to work down the local mine with his brother Bob, who would also go on to be a football manager later after his playing days were over. Football was always his obsession though. At school he would play constantly despite there being no school team. He had a trial with the village team Glenbuck Perry Cherry Pickers but never made the grade. Despite that he believed he was only killing time down the pit until his football career began. The self-belief that characterised his later career was already there. At 18 he began playing with Cromberry Eglinton, 12 miles away, cycling to the ground to play. It was only for a few months before a scout called Peter Carruthers recommended him to Carlisle United and he was invited for a month-long trial. It was the first time he had left Scotland. He only played one match for Carlisle's reserves and it was a 6-0 defeat at the hands of Middlesbrough's reserves but it was enough to convince the Cumbrians to sign him immediately. Shankly quickly became a key player but then Preston North End stepped in with an offer of £500, a move the young Shankly almost rejected because the wages of £5 a week was just 10 shillings more than he already earned. He was not sure it was worth uprooting himself and the deal was on the verge of falling through before brother Alec pointed out that the opportunity was more important than the money. Preston were then a second division side, in the days when second division meant the second tier, but soon won promotion to the top flight with Shankly an integral part of the team and a fan favourite. They won the FA Cup in 1938, but World War II came along and robbed him of his peak years as a player. He was 26 when it started and by the time league football resumed for the 1946-47 season, he was 33. During the war he served in the RAF, boxed as a middleweight, met his wife Nessie and married her and played for clubs as diverse as Norwich City, Arsenal, Luton Town, Partick Thistle and Liverpool. Shanks returned to football and took over captaincy at PNE after the war but had lost his place by 1949. He told his successor, Tommy Doherty, that he should just put on his number four shirt and let it run around by itself because it knew where to go. Shankly had qualified as a masseur but he but he had decided he wanted to be a coach, so he had no second thoughts when Carlisle offered him their manager's job in 1949, and he retired from playing to take the job. His leaving was resented by some at Preston, and he was refused the traditional benefit match players were usually given on retirement, and he later described the club's attitude as the biggest letdown of his football life. As a player, and what helped him become a success as a manager, was his dedication to his craft. Shankly would continue training throughout the summer, For instance, in 1933 he decided to work on his throw-ins. Shankly was an early exponent of the long throw, he was always looking for something new to improve his game and he spent the summer practising by throwing balls over a row of houses and the small boys in the village would fetch the balls for him. When Shankly became manager, he was obsessive over the game and would hate the summer months and absence of football. 
He wanted players to have ability and courage, plus they had to be physically fit and willing to work. There was no room for shirkers in a Shankly team. The Carlisle team he inherited were struggling in the bottom half of Division 3 North and were having difficulties attracting Southern-based players so far north. Despite the difficulties, Shankly transformed the team, finishing the first season 1948-49 in 15th, improving to 9th the following season and 3rd the year after, just missing out on promotion with a team which featured legendary future Liverpool Chief Scout Jeff Twentyman. Shankly had already begun using psychology to boost his players, pointing out how tired the opposition players would be after a very tiring journey north and would not be fit to play. He was used the PA system at matches, explaining to the crowd the team changes he had made for the game. Money at the club was in extremely short supply. Their Brunton Park Stadium was falling to pieces and the kit was a mess. In fact, one of his first changes was to burn all the kit and, on the way to face Lincoln City, he stopped the team coach in Doncaster and popped into a sportswear shop to buy the team a full kit which they played in. In 1951, Shankly quit, accusing the board of reneging on a bonus which had been promised to the players. At this point, he had an interview with Liverpool, who decided against him, so he took over at Grimsby Town instead in June 1951. Shankly believed the potential at Grimsby was much higher than at Carlisle. Grimsby had only recently fallen into the third division from the first division, and Shanks believed there were still some good players there. He added a few cheap signings and they finished the 1951-52 season in second, just three points behind the winners Lincoln, but only one club was promoted in those days. Shank said of the team, In the league they were in, they played football nobody else could play. Everything was measured, planned and perfected, and you would not wish to see more entertaining football. The beginnings of the Shankly ideology was being built in training there, with the basis being highly competitive hour-long matches of five-a-side football. He also worked on set pieces, particularly looking for ways to counter-attack from opposition corners. His team was ageing and only managed a fifth-place finish the following season and spent the next season battling with the board over players he wanted to sign. In January 1954, Shankly's annoyance with the board got the better of him and he quit, citing the board's lack of ambition. Shankly later said that both Nessie and himself were homesick in Grimsby as well and that is why he took the Workington Town job next. Workington was closer to Scotland. Once more, Shankly inherited a team near the bottom of the third division north and he relished the challenge, saving them from relegation by finishing 18th, avoiding the need for re-election to the league. The following season, 1954-55, attendances rose and he led the team to 8th, but the club was operating on a shoestring budget with Shankly doing most of the administrative work. He would answer the phone and dealt with the mail, typing replies to letters on an old typewriter. Shankly even had to collect the payroll from the bank each week. Unfortunately, the club was sharing the ground with a rugby league club with mainly rugby men on the board and there were numerous arguments over the amount of damage done to the pitch by the men with friendly shaped balls. Realising nothing was going to change, Shankly quit on 15th of November 1955 and joined his old friend Andy Beattie as his assistant manager at Huddersfield Town. Shankly also managed the reserve team there with some promising youngsters. Unfortunately, Huddersfield were relegated to Division 2 at the end of the season and BC quit during the following season. Shankly inherited the job on 5th of November 1956. On Christmas Eve, he gave a first-team debut to one of his young reserve starlets, a 16-year-old Dennis Law. The first season, they finished 12th then ninth, but dropped to 14th in the 1958-59 season with Shankly once again at loggerheads with a board who wanted to sell the best players but refused to give him money to sign replacements. 
Shankly was happy to get an offer from Liverpool in November 1959, though when Liverpool director TV Williams asked if he would like to manage the best club in the country, Shanks quipped, why, is Matt Busby packing up? Despite his Huddersfield team beating Liverpool 1-0 on 28th of November, Shankly resigned and took Liverpool's offer on 1st of December 1959, after taking some time to think it over. Finally, the great man had arrived, but this was not the LFC of today. This was a mediocre second-tier team that had stagnated through lack of investment in recent years. The Anfield Stadium was in complete disrepair with no way to water the pitch, and Shankly made the club spend £3,000 to fix it. Melwood Shankly described as a shambles. It was overgrown, only had an old wooden cricket pavilion for facilities, just one mains water tap, and Shanks asked if the Germans had been over in the wars, one of the pitches looked like bombs had been dropped on it. Shankly immediately set about having the facilities modernised and the pitches cultivated and revolutionising the training. The players would all meet up and get changed at Anfield before being taken to and from Melwood on a bus. The training system was very much based on the system he had introduced previously at Grimsby Town, built around highly competitive five-a-side matches. Tommy Lawrence said, In pre-season you got in at Anfield and you then put a pair of trainers on. They weren't like trainers you have today for running on the roads, they were pumps. You need to run from Anfield to Melwood, around Melwood three or four times and then run all the way back. Roger Hunt and I used to travel with the train from Warrington and after about three days we couldn't even go down the steps, the back of our calves were just gone. As soon as Shanks came in he just changed it. You play on grass and you would train on grass and that was it. Then we actually saw a bag of balls. We had never seen a bag of balls. Shankly hated long distance road running and the training was all done on grass with balls except for warm ups and injury recuperation. He developed a famous sweat box based on an idea Shankly had got from a training routine Tom Finney had used at Preston. It was used to develop stamina, reflexes and ball skills. After experimenting with it for a while, Shankly set a two minute limit per session as the optimum. There was a very simple philosophy Shankly wanted the game to be played by. Something that became legendary, pass and move. However, he was also always looking at the best new training methods and he instigated cool-down periods after training before the players could go for a bath and then a meal together. It is little wonder Ronnie Moran later said at that time, I learned more in the first three months than I'd done in the seven years that I'd been a pro. I wish I'd been five years younger. The one thing Shankly was happy with was the coaching staff of Bob Paisley, Joe Fagan and Reuben Bennett, who all had similar coaching beliefs to him. Shanks was the motivator, Paisley the tactician, and an old storage room was converted into the fabled boot room so the quartet could discuss tactics while cleaning and repairing boots. The playing staff were a different matter. Shanks later said, After only one match I knew that the team as a whole was not good enough. I made up my mind that we needed strengthening through the middle, a goalkeeper and a centre-half who between them could stop goals, and somebody up front to create goals and score them. 24 players were placed on the transfer list and all of them were gone within a year. He already had three players in mind to strengthen the spine of the team, but he struggled to get the Liverpool board to spend money on players until Eric Sawyers of Littlewoods Pools joined the board and became an ally. After finishing third and then third again, missing out on promotion to the top flight, Shankly asked once again for two of the players he had in mind, players he called the best two players in Scotland. The board told him that the club could not afford to buy them, but Sawyer said, we can't afford not to buy them. Liverpool signed them both, Ian St John from Motherwell and Ron Yates from Dundee United in the spring of 1961. 
Shankly told the board they could sack him if, the, if it did not work out. At a press conference to announce the signing of Yates, Shankly told journalists to go and walk around him. He's a colossus. The board's fears about not being able to afford them were due to the way crowds had dropped after promotion was not achieved. When Shanks arrived, average gates were 40,000, but they had dropped to below 30,000 by now. Worse was the reaction of the chair of the Shareholders Association, Solly Eisenwater, who had asked Shankly if he had been allowing his players to take it easy and then tried to hold a vote of no confidence in the board. The spine was completed through the youth ranks by goalkeeper Tommy Lawrence and Roger Hunt, of whom Shankly said when he first saw him, Christ, this one can play. They won Division 2 in part due to Hunt's 41 goals and returned to the top flight. 1962-63 saw the team consolidate in the old first division, finishing 8th, before a final day 5-0 win over Arsenal at Anfield was the finale to Shankly's first league title with the Reds the following season. Liverpool made their first foray into European football in the 1964-65 season, which led to the now legendary all-red kits being birthed. It was Ian St John's idea, and Shanks agreed with it, thinking it would make the players look bigger. He asked Ron Yates to model it for him, and when Yates strode out onto the Anfield pitch, Shanks was sold and the All-Red became the European kit initially. Later it became the kit for all games, and the Reds as we know them now were truly born. Shankly's dream was to win the FA Cup. It was the only domestic trophy Liverpool had yet to collect, and he had told the board on signing Yates and St John that he would win it with them in the team. In May 1965, Ian St John scored the winning goal in the FA Cup final to see off Leeds United at Wembley. Three days later, they faced reigning European champions Inter Milan in the European Cup semi-final first leg at Anfield. Liverpool taught Inter a lesson in a stellar performance as they ran out 3-1 winners, but Shanks was warned by visiting Italian journalists that LFC would never be allowed to go through. Sure enough, Inter picked up a 3-0 second leg win, which Shanks always maintained was down to a dodgy referee. Whether or not he was right, LFC were out and only finished 7th in the English league, with 13 points less than they had managed the season before. That was turned around quickly as LFC once more won the league title and reached the Cup Winners' Cup final where they faced Borussia Dortmund. Dortmund won 2-1 after extra time and Shankly was extremely unhappy that the team had given away two silly goals to lose it. That is when he began to evolve Liverpool's style in Europe, initially to play in a containing game in away matches and attacking at home. The 1966-67 season was not as successful, though Liverpool did start off on a high note, beating Everton in the Charity Shield, but only managed the fifth place in the league. However, 1967 saw more evolution, starting with the signing of a teenager, Emlyn Hughes, in February. A player Shanks had wanted to sign after seeing him make his debut, but was not back at the time. The scouting system was revamped, and Jeff Twentyman took over the scouting setup. The biggest change was a further evolution of the playing style to a more possession-based and patient way of playing, after a thrashing at the hands of an Ajax side inspired by a 19-year-old Johan Cruyff. The evolution did not reap immediate dividends as the core of Liverpool's team were ageing and the next couple of seasons saw LFC finish third and then second in the league. The 1969-70 season was another watershed after a poor performance in the FA Cup quarter-final against second division Watford made Shankly rip the side apart and phase out the older players and bring in Ray Clements, Larry Lloyd, John Toshak, Steve Highway, Brian Hall and Kevin Keegan over the next few seasons. Again, there was no instant impact from the changes. 
LFC finishing fifth in the league in both 1969-70 and 70-71, though they did reach the semi-finals of the Intercities Fairs Cup, where they lost to Leeds, and the FA Cup final, where they lost to Arsenal after extra time. With Keegan now on board, Liverpool challenged for the first division title, but were pipped to the trophy by Brian Clough's Derby County by just one point. It was during that season that one of Shankly's famous pep talks came into play, as Keegan was set to face the great Bobby Moore for the first time. Shanks told Keegan that he saw Moore getting off the team bus barely able to walk, and that Moore was still drunk from a night out last night. Keegan was exceptional, but Moore was also brilliant in that game, and Shankly told him that he would never face a better player in his career. The 1972-73 season saw the changes bear fruit as Liverpool won the first division again and also reached the UEFA Cup final, a two-legged affair in those days where they were set to face Borussia Mönchengladbach. The first leg at Anfield had to be abandoned partway through as heavy rain flooded the pitch. Enough football was played for Shanks and his coaching team to spot a weakness in their defence. Toshak had initially been left out, but Shankly put him in the team for the replay game the following night. Toshak created two goals for Keegan in a 3-0 win, which was enough to win the club's first ever European competition, despite the Germans snatching two early goals in the second leg. It also made Liverpool the first team to win the leg and a, win the league and a European competition in the same season. This was also the year that the iconic photograph of Bill Shankly holding a scarf above his head in front of the cop was taken. It was April 1973 and he and the team were showing off the league trophy to the cop when Shankly saw a police officer throw an LFC scarf aside. Shankly retrieved the scarf and then told the policeman, don't you do that, it's precious. The next season LFC were once again runners-up in the first division but went on to win the FA Cup, beating Newcastle United 3-0 in the final. Shockingly though, it was Shankly's last game in charge of Liverpool, with three league titles, two FA Cups, four charity shields and the UEFA Cup in the trophy cabinet, Shankly resigned. The public, particularly Liverpool fans, were shocked when on 12th of July 1974, a press conference was held to announce his retirement. Liverpool's then chairman, John Smith, announcing, It is with great regret that I, as chairman of Liverpool Football Club, have to inform you that Mr Shankly has intimated that he wishes to retire from active participation in league football, and the board has, with extreme reluctance, accepted his decision. I would like to, at this stage, place on record the board's great appreciation of Mr Shankly's magnificent achievement over the period of his managership. Club secretary Peter Robinson had tried in vain to convince him to stay, initially believing that it was just the usual summer blues from Shankly, who would regularly talk of finishing while the game shut down for the summer. Shankly hated being away from their day-to-day involvement in football, but would always return to business as usual as soon as the players were back in training. It was not even the first time that Shankly had resigned. Robinson still had a resignation letter from him, which he never retracted, dated 1967, which he handed in to the board after they refused to back him with the signing of Howard Kendall. Worse, they allowed bitter rivals Everton to step in and snatch Kendall from under their noses. Robinson had initially believed 1974 would be the same thing, but Shankly was 60 and he felt tired. His wife, Ness, was worried for his health and wanted him to quit before he worked himself into an early grave, so this time the resignation was the end of his time as manager. However, Shankly quickly came to regret the decision. He had lived a life around football and it was all he knew. He later admitted that the club had become his life. To begin with, 
He tried to enjoy his retirement and, when asked what Shanks was doing on his first Saturday in retirement, Bob Paisley replied, He's trying to get right away from football. I believe he went to Everton. Shankly was a guest of Everton FC at their game at the time. However, being away from the game did not suit him and he soon began to turn up at Melwood for Liverpool's training sessions. At first, Paisley was delighted to see him, but that soon turned to an uncomfortable embarrassment as Shankly undermined his replacement by turning up to training and giving out instructions and eventually began even taking training sessions. Something he had never even done when he was the manager, as he would instruct Paisley, Joe Fagan and Reuben Bennett on what he wanted done and then oversee it. Eventually, Paisley was forced to ask Shankly to stay away because he, Paisley, had work he wanted to do with the team. Shankly did continue to attend matches, but he sat in the stand with the fans, not with the directors and staff of the club. He was annoyed that the club never invited him to away matches as a club guest and was hoping to be awarded a place on the board like Matt Busby had been given at Manchester United. However, LFC directors were fearful of Shankly. They had a difficult relationship with him while he was manager and they did not believe he would be able to sit back and not interfere in everything. Added to that, they saw how Busby's presence had so bad an effect on his successes that United had even ended up relegated the year Shankly resigned. Everyone around the club felt there was a need to move on, and that would not happen if Shankly was there, though they did invite him eventually to an away game. The away leg of the 1976 UEFA Cup final in Bruges, almost two years after he had quit. To make matters worse from Shankly's point of view, the club put him in a separate hotel from the team, something he found insulting. It was something that upset him for the rest of his days that he was treated better and received more warmly by bitter rivals Everton and Man United than LFC. Shankly did attempt to stay involved in the game in other capacities. He had short-lived advisory roles with Wrexham and Tranmere Rovers and he was often being asked to look up players or give advice by various managers all over the country. Often his Sunday mornings were spent down the local park encouraging kids playing there and the park was later renamed the Bill Shankly Playing Fields. He also presented a chat show on local radio station Radio City and worked as a football pundit for the station too. In 1977, he even got so desperate to be involved in the game that he admitted an interest in taking the Everton job after all the years of jokes at their expense. Just four years later, Shankly was rushed into Broad Green Hospital after a heart attack. Though he appeared to be recovering well, his condition suddenly deteriorated and he was transferred to intensive care, passing away on September 29, 1981. Training was cancelled at both Melwood and Everton's training ground, Belfield, and Matt Busby was so upset he refused to take calls asking for a reaction. Liverpool erected the Shankly gates in front of the Anfield Road stand, bearing the inscription, You'll never walk alone. And later, in 1997, a statue of him was erected bearing the legend, and Shankly is a legend, he made the people happy. His former club Preston remodelled their Deepdale Stadium in the 1990s and their spy on Cop End was replaced by the Bill Shankly Cop, which has an image of his head and shoulders made out of different coloured seats. Shankly had won three league titles, Division 2, two FA Cups and the UEFA Cup during his spell in charge. He was not as successful as the man who followed him, but Shankly can take most of the credit for creating the modern Liverpool FC and building it into the bastion of invincibility he had aimed to create. More than that, he created a legend around managers that still exist for Liverpool fans. In most clubs, star players are everything. At Liverpool, because of Shankly, the manager is everything and the players have to accept that. It is the foundation of the club's later successes.